Well, if you would, take out your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're going to look at verses beginning in verse 25 through verse 37 today. And as we said last week, one of the things we're going to do in just a few weeks is begin a study in uh, 1 Samuel. But as we do that, we're going to look at different parables throughout the year also. And today we look at parable of the Good Samaritan. And some of you are looking at your watches thinking, wow, we're going to get out of here early today. Uh, not so fast. Uh, immediately after the sermon, we, we have a lot of things we're going to do in light of our work in New Orleans. So just hold tight. Uh, we have baptism and things that will happen toward the end. So know that. Some of you like to get out of here during the response time. Um, but we will be responding in different ways together. So you can wait uh, to get out uh, later today. If that makes, I, know, I know that's hitting home with some of you. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Uh, but, but some of you do do that. So Luke chapter 10, uh, I'm going to read verse. There's nothing wrong with it, by the way. Some of you feel guilty. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. Luke chapter 10, I'll move on. Verse 27. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. And today we're going to talk about what kind of love gets us to heaven. What, what kind of love does it take for you to get to heaven? And we find a man who approaches Jesus with a certain attitude or way of thinking about the way he loves his neighbor. And Jesus corrects him. And Jesus changes the way maybe he or we should think about love and how we get to heaven. And so we're going to read uh, verse 27 and that will begin our time together. Hear the word of Christ. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 27. And he You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Oh God, I pray that those words would penetrate our hearts. That we would feel the weight of what it means to love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. God, you would overwhelm us uh, with that standard, that requirement. And God, at the end of the day, we would realize there is only one who has loved you in that way. And there is only one who has loved his neighbor better than himself. And his name's Jesus. May we look to him during this time. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. May we seat it. What did you think about the election? What do you think about Trump? What do you believe about that wall? And have you, have you seen where these NFL players, they're not kneeling before the games? Have you seen that? Now, all of those were questions to me from a relative in rapid-fire, machine-gun fashion that I was unable to answer any of them at a family get-together over the last year. And I realized as he continued to talk that it was a trap, by the way. And I'm glad I didn't try to answer any of the questions because he was trying to trap me. 
this was a relative who is not a Christian. It's a relative who hasn't been to church in years. Uh, very conservative, though, uh, in his thinking. And he realized, okay, here's, uh, here's my cousin who is a pastor. He's a preacher. And if I can quiz him and question him about all these things that I hold dearly as a conservative in the culture, and, and he would just agree with me on maybe two, then I, I would feel a lot better about my standing before God. Again, this is a relative who hasn't been to church in years, probably not a Christian that I can tell, but he was looking for something on this day that I would agree with him with so he would feel better about himself. He would take these sort of conservative values that he has, things that are going on in the culture, and it would make him feel better about his standing before God. And I realized that as we talked, and I became even more grateful that I didn't even try to address those issues because he needed Jesus first and foremost. But that goes on so often in our culture. Uh, we live in a culture that's sort of outrage, hashtag crazy. And, and it doesn't really matter what I really believe. If I can find myself on the right side of outrage, on the more conservative side of outrage, it must mean that I have a better standing before God. And it's something that went on in Jesus' day. It's something that was very true. As Jesus walked from town to town to town, these are the same sort of questions that were being asked of Jesus. You had social conservatives, scribes and Pharisees, those who would consider themselves very religious. And as they looked at the culture, they were very, very conservative. And yet Jesus has come along and He is saying things like, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. I, I have come as the great I am. It, your word, your law, that you reverence much, I'm the word in flesh. And, and they, these social conservatives, lawyers, teachers of the word, they come up to Jesus and they are sort of confused and, and they want to make sure Jesus, this great rabbi, this great teacher, we want to make sure that you agree with us on things that are essential so that we can feel better about ourselves. Because the way you're teaching, you're, you're, you're not really easy to pin down on certain things. And, and it's because Jesus was walking around saying, you must believe in me to be saved. Your law cannot save you. Your social conservatism cannot save you. You must believe in me. And today, we find this very sort of interaction with Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Notice as the text begins, verse 25, Behold! Now, throughout the book of Luke, what Luke does is he teaches us about the kingdom by showing different interactions that Jesus has with all kinds of people. Uh, the prostitutes, all kinds of people, those who uh, would think of themselves as conservatives, those who would think of themselves as right before God, and all those who would think of themselves as outcasts. He would even teach us a parable about a lost sheep to teach us that no one uh, who, who desires the kingdom in Him cannot be found. 
And here we find a lawyer, another interaction. Behold, there's a shift. There's a lawyer. This would have been a teacher of the law. And, and this would have been one who knows the Old Testament. He would have been the Bible professor who's to Jesus. And notice the way that he approaches Jesus. Notice what he says. Teacher. He respects Jesus. Jesus has been known for teaching with authority. Teaching with great power. Jesus wasn't some outcast, homeless guy who really didn't understand the Bible. No, when he stood up to teach the Bible, they, they understood he knows it. He knows it. Just because he's walking around with these disciples, doesn't have a place to lay his head, he's dining and eating with gluttons and drunkards, he, he knows the Bible. And, and they're confused by it. But notice the respect. Teacher. And notice the question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's very important. The way that he asked the question. He comes to Jesus to test him. And, and the way he asked the question is, here's the test. What shall I do? That's crucial. Because as Jesus is preaching, what he is saying is you can't do anything. You can't do anything to inherit eternal life. There, there's nothing you can do but believe in me and follow me. But notice the teacher of the law. He's wanting to trap Jesus. Okay, you're saying you can't do anything. Let, let's try this again. What shall I do? He thinks you can do something according to law to get to heaven. And notice Jesus' response. He said to him, What is written in the law? Like, what do you believe? You're the expert you're the one who has the Torah college degree. You tell me. You know the law so well. What is it that you must do according to the law to inherit eternal life? Now, the law, which we know is summarized in the Ten Commandments, this massive, intricate work that Israel tried to live by, the law, the, the law was the do's and don'ts of the Old Testament. These do's and don'ts that uh, God required of Israel to teach them His character. He, he would say, I'm perfect. And to have fellowship with me, these are things you must do and these are things you can't do. But the purpose of the law was to always teach that there's nothing you can do. Only God. Only God is perfect. Only God is righteous. But notice He falls directly into Jesus' trap. Notice verse 27. answered Him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now this would be the Shema. This would be to us, John 3.16. What's your favorite verse? For God so loved the world. And we just rattle it off. This would be, like, what, what's, what song did you learn growing up in church? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It, it, this would be the same sort of response. It's almost like, duh, don't you know the Old Testament? Don't, haven't you heard of the greatest commandment? 
Haven't you heard of what sums up the whole law? This love for God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, your will, your emotions, your, your body must be surrendered to God, your soul, your spirit, that which is spiritual must be surrendered to God. Notice he says the way you think must be surrendered to God, the things that you know must be surrendered to God, your will, your strength, all of it. What he says here is, is the way to eternal life according to the law is that you love God with all of you. Every part of you, your whole being, your heart, what makes you you must be surrendered to God. And then what flows out of that is that you love your neighbor as yourself. The, the, the same sort of commitment that you have to yourself, you should have to your neighbor. The, the way you think, what do I want? The things you desire to do for yourself. The, that you, the way you serve yourself when you think about yourself, your commitment to yourself, according to the law, to inherit eternal life, you have to love your neighbor that way. That focus that you have on yourself, focus on your neighbor in that way. That's what the law says about eternal life. If you're going to get to heaven by doing something, you've got to love God perfectly, and you've got to love your neighbor perfectly. And notice Jesus' response. He said to him, you have answered correctly. You've answered correctly. You do this, and there's the key, if you do this, you will live. If you can love God perfectly, and you can love your neighbor, you will have eternal life. What shall I do if you're going to do something to go to heaven you got to have perfect love. Perfect love for God and perfect love for your neighbor. Obeying the law to get eternal life means perfect love. And if you can do this, you will get to heaven. You've answered correctly. That's what the law teaches. It will take perfect love for you to get to heaven. And the lawyer is stunned here because he didn't expect Jesus to respond that way. Jesus has been saying, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. And so his response is, okay, that's not what I thought was going to happen. This is the little punk in theology class, stands up, tries to corner the teacher, and now he looks like a fool. And so he has to ask another question. Okay, yeah, that is what the law teaches, but who is my neighbor? What is verse 29? desiring to justify himself. Okay, I just want to make sure because I think I do love God perfectly. I think that I do love my neighbor. But just, just to get this correct, who is my neighbor? Just to be clear. And Jesus is getting to the heart of this man because he has no problem loving God. This is a man who studies the Scriptures. He knows the Old Testament. But when it came to who his neighbor was, he was a bit selective. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus is uncovering that. And his question reveals that. And, and this sounds encouraging. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And yet, if you're here today and you, you, you say you're a Christian, you say, believe in Jesus and you'll have eternal life. You may be frustrated with Jesus right now. Why didn't he just share the gospel with him? 
Why didn't he just, just believe? And the reason is, he knows this man's heart. He knows this man can't love himself to heaven because he loves himself too much. And he's uncovering that here. He thinks he can obey the law to get to heaven, but if he defines what obedience to the law is. And how does he define obedience to the law? By defining who his neighbor is. And he misses the whole point. I can get to heaven by the law if you let me tell you what the law is. I can get to heaven by my love if you let me tell you, Jesus, who I'm going to love. And we all struggle with that. It uncovers something in our own heart. Some of you here today are saying, I can get to heaven by my goodness. Now hold on. Let me define what goodness is. Ask anybody who knows me. I'm a really good person. I have my name on two church rolls now. I am a really good person. I vote conservatively for life and family. I'm not like a meth head that you may see walking down the street. I'm not like the, 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 my roommate who was doing a headstand at a kegger last night. I'm not like that. I'm good. Ask anybody who knows me. I'm a good person. And you think that's going to get you to heaven, but at the end of the day, you're the one defining the goodness, not Jesus. I can get to heaven, surely, by my goodness. And you're the standard of goodness. You're the one in Jesus what goodness is. Some of you here today, you think you can get to heaven by your love. You'd say, I do love God. We go to the beach and I, I look out at the waves and the sun. And I just say, there's got to be a God. I do that once. My parents asked me to pray over the baked beans every family get-together. I sing along to K-Love at Culver's. Like, I, I love God. I read my Bible app. I, I, I love God. I promise you, I love God. And when I have a friend in need, I'm willing to help them if I have time. I mean, when I see all y'all's prayer requests on Facebook, I always comment praying. <laughs> I love other people. I really do. And in your mind, you're, you've convinced yourself that you love God and you love others, but you're defining the love. And that's what the lawyer here is trying to do with Jesus. Okay, you tell me who my neighbor is. And, and some of you are doing that here today when it comes to the issue of faith, which is even more scary. Because you say, my faith, I, I believe in Jesus. But you're defining that faith too. And it's a faith that really wants to keep Jesus at arm's length. It's a faith that I want life to be just a little bit easier and I want to go to heaven when I die. And you're defining that faith. Jesus isn't Lord and Savior. Jesus isn't your all in all. You're even defining what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to believe in me, take up your cross and follow after me. And you say, I've taken up my cross. I had a flat tire this week. I had to endure with frust frustrating people at work. There's all kinds of crosses that I bear on a weekly basis. And Jesus says, no, you're defining what it means to follow me. To follow me means to believe in me so much you're willing to die for me. 
Take up your cross and follow me. And you're trying to define faith that gets you to heaven. And Jesus says, you can't do that. And to pierce our hearts, he tells us a story of what that looks like. Okay, you think you love God and you think you love your neighbor. I'm going to define what love is. And I'm going to define who your neighbor is for you. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's assumed here that this was probably a Jew. He's talking to a man who was probably a Jew. And here, there is a Jew who is in trouble. And he's on this road from Jericho to Jerusalem. This would have been an eight-mile trek. And there would have been caves, and there would have been rocks. And this was a road where there was all kinds of robbery. There was all kinds of thievery. Thieves hid behind rocks and in caves, and they came out, and they, they would beat you to death. There were no surveillance videos, no cell phones, no 911. You would be beat to death and left for dead. This was a common occurrence. He says, let's talk about a Jew who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And then he says, verse 31, now by chance. So there's a Jew, heard on the side of the road, and now by chance, let's just say, a priest was going down the road. And in this man's mind, he goes, okay, the priest is going to help the Jew. That, that, that should be what would happen. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now notice he emphasized he saw him. Maybe looked into his eyes and went to the other side. Didn't want to help him. The priest. And then he says, likewise, a Levite. Now the Levites were those who, by their ethnicity, were chosen to be priests. And so you have a priest. His position is uh, one of holiness and righteousness. One who should love God. And now you have one according to his ethnicity. He should love God. He's a Southern Baptist preacher. He's from the South. Raised in the Bible Belt. Baptized at five. Baptized again at the youth conference. Rededicated his life. He should love God. But notice what he does. He saw him. And that's important in both of these instances. Saw him. No Instagram, so he didn't go over and take a picture before he helped him. Walks to the other side and moves along like he wasn't there. The righteous, those who are inherently righteous, those who are outwardly righteous, the Jew, the priest, the Levite, move to the other side of the road. Two men who you'd say, do they love the Lord with all their heart? Yes. But they prove they don't love their neighbor. Now notice verse 33. But a Samaritan. And everybody who's listening, their hearts sink. Priest, Levite, Samaritan. And, and we heard good Samaritan all our life that we think this was a good person. Not according to the Jews. This was a disgusting, unclean dog. They, they would say, you just said the word Samaritan. You need to go wash. It, it would have been like a profanity. These were not the good guys. These were folks from northern Israel who intermarried with the Canaanites. They even came up with their own version of the law and they built their own version of the temple as an insult to all the Jews. This would have been their worst enemies. They would have considered them half 
half-breed heretics. And they didn't want anything to do with them. To speak to one would have been to consider yourself unclean. He's the opposite of the priest. He's the opposite of the Levite. He is disgusting for the Jew. This would be the conservative Muslim who's known on Facebook for saying 9-11 was a wonderful religious moment. And all of a sudden, Jesus inserts this one. This one as the hero of the story. And their hearts sink. And they, they're sick at their stomach. Even think about the story when, when the disciples move through Samaria. And, and they leave Samaria and they turn to Jesus and say, could you just nuke this place? These people are horrible. These people reject you. Could you just send down lightning from above and wipe them out? And, and, and notice that the Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, compassion is that gut level you get sick at your stomach when you see someone in need and you can do nothing else but help them. You, you are almost enslaved to your emotions to do something. And he's the one who had compassion? That the Samaritan? How can something good like compassion come from a Samaritan? There's no way. And, and notice verse 34. He went to him and he bound his wounds. And in the back of their minds, they're going, he's unclean now. He shouldn't have, he shouldn't have touched him. He's unclean. He poured oil and wine. Do you know how expensive that is? Oil and wine? Like he's wasting his money. You can imagine the way they're thinking. He's wasting it on this man. It, the Samaritans are so stupid. Then he set an animal. A Jew shouldn't be riding a Samaritan's donkey. He should have got another Jew to come help. You know how stupid Samaritans are? You know how disgusting they are? And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. This is not just a feeling. This is personal, intimate care. He's touching. He's cleaning his wounds. He's walking alongside of him like family. And then verse 35, on the next day he took out two denarii. This would have been two days wages. Jesus intentionally is pouring it on. I want to tell you what kind of compassion the Samaritan had. More than you've ever thought about having. He, he took this man and he spent two days wages on him. And, and then notice, not even that, he gave them to the innkeeper and said, you take care of him and you do whatever. And then if it costs more, I'll repay you when I come back. Something so good and holy and right, like compassion that would do this, comes from their worst enemies. And so Jesus has trapped him. Verse 36, Which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which one? And they don't even want to say it. They don't want to say it. Notice, the one who showed mercy. And they probably mumbled it, the one who showed mercy. <laughs> they don't want anybody, we're not going to say Samaritan. We get it. You tricked us. The one who showed mercy. And then he turns and says, you go and do likewise. And notice, 
which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor? What does this man throughout, we, we've read this word, he wanted to justify himself, prove to himself, he wanted to test Jesus. The one who passes the test is the Samaritan. He's the one who shows mercy. He's the one who serves the one in need. The, the Samaritan becomes the hero of the story. This would be like a post-op, transgender member of Al-Qaeda. That's not even possible to happen. Being the hero of the story for us. And we would feel like you just felt when I said that. That's so stupid. Would you quit using such extreme illustrations to prove your point? That, that, that's never going to happen. And that's what they would be thinking. And why are they thinking that? Because they hate Samaritans. They hate Samaritans. Samaritans are their worst enemies. And here Jesus has lifted the Samaritan up as the hero. The Samaritan here defines goodness and obeys the law. And what Jesus says, okay, here's Jesus' point. If you want to get to heaven by what you do, be like a Samaritan. And they're like, whoa, we can't do that. Well, what if a Samaritan really loved God? What if a Samaritan really loved his neighbor as himself? What? Oh, you just proved you don't love your neighbor. Because you don't love the Samaritan. And that's the scandal. We think about the guy on the side of the road all the way through the story. And Jesus has flipped the script. Because he is proving to this man he doesn't love his neighbor because he hates Samaritans. The story's not about the mysterious guy on the side of the road, beaten, left for dead. No, the Samaritan is right there sitting next to you as you hear this story. The guy in the back who you've shunned. That's your neighbor. You don't, even have to, you don't even have to make this up. You walked by Samaritans all the time and you passed to the other side of the road. You spit on them. You, you gossip about them. You hate them. And it's proof you can't get to heaven by your love. It's proof you don't love your neighbor. This would infuriate them. It would be like me telling a story today saying, you know, yesterday I was getting off the interstate. There's a guy with a UK hat on. Probably stole it. Had a will work for food sign. And, and there was a Tennessee fan. Drove up, saw that UK hat, gave him some hand gesture, rode off. I'll let you figure out what hand gesture. <laughs> Just drove off. And my gut sank. And then there was a UK fan. And he rode up next to him. And then he saw the guy, he made eye contact with the guy, and just turned around, started looking at his cell phone, checking Facebook, drove away. Then there was a Louisville fan. <laughs> Had it back across of his bumper. Louisville, it's great, miles ahead. And he pulled up, and he handed that guy a $100 bill. And then he said, no, just get in. And he put that homeless guy with the UK hat on in his car, and they drove down to Chick-fil-A. And he fed him, sat there and ate with him for about two hours, just talked. And then they went over to the Hampton Inn, and he paid for his hotel for a night. And your response is, Tennessee fans, they're selfish anyway. UK guy just didn't see him. And Louisville fans are stupid. 
You're so stupid. He just wasted his money on a homeless guy. He just, he, why, does he not know what got that guy into that situation? Does he not know he's probably some meth head? Louisville fans are so stupid. And you prove it's not about the homeless guy, is it? It's about your neighbor. Not just the U of L fan, but it's about people you pass by every day who you know are in need and you don't help just because they're different, just because they're not like you. And Jesus proves to all of us here, we don't love our neighbor. And the proof is, you can't get to heaven by your love anyway. Your love is faulty. Your love is minimalistic. You don't want to try to get to heaven by your love. You, you, Jesus would say, let me explain to you what love is. You've heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and unrighteous. And he says this, verse 46, if you love, if, if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? It's easy to love those who are like you. And even, and not even the tax collectors, don't they do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even the pagans do that. And he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus says, if you want to get to heaven by your love, you've got to have some perfect love. And perfect love means you love your enemies. You love your enemies as yourself. Now how hard is that? And all of us should feel the weight of that. Because our love is so minimalistic. We love those who love us in return, right? That's so easy. We pick and choose. I'm going to do things for you knowing I'm going to get something out of it. Our love is minimalistic. It'll never get us to heaven. We love those who have common views and preferences we do. We love those who are low maintenance. It's not messy. And if you define your love and you're able to do that, maybe you're able to get to heaven. But you can't. Jesus defines what love is, and it's love for enemies. It's, it's love for your enemies. And Jesus is teaching the lawyers here today, if you're going to get to heaven by your love, it's, something's going to come from within you and your compassion, you're no closer to heaven than the Samaritan is. The Samaritan's closer to heaven than you are. You're not going to get to heaven by your love. You can't do it that way. You don't love the way Jesus loves. You don't love the way your Father in heaven has loved you. But there is a kind of love that will get you to heaven. Because there's one. There's one that left that scene there today in the story. And he went and did likewise. He went and loved his neighbor more than himself. You see, as you read the story, as we do a lot of stories in the Bible, we want to insert ourselves as the hero. You wouldn't want to insert yourself as a Samaritan, by the way. You wouldn't. They, they, they were scandalous. But that's the hero of the story. But we're not even the Samaritan in the story. We're not even the man beaten on the side of the road in the story. You know who we are in the story? We're the thieves and robbers. We're the thieves and robbers who didn't attack the man who didn't know it was coming. 
We attack the good Samaritan who came to save us. We're the one who rejected Jesus. We're the one because of our sin. He's the one that was drug outside of the city. He was the one left for dead. He was the one beaten to death and everything taken from him, left naked, and he wasn't rescued by anyone. He was the one who loved his enemy as himself. And guess what? You're the enemy he loved. You're the enemy he loved. It's good news in your soul right now if you feel, I can't get to heaven by doing something. That's the point of the story. And you can't get to heaven by your love. You can't do it. But you will get to heaven by someone else's love. And His name is Jesus. And He loved you. He was forsaken by you. He was left for dead by you. And and He loved His enemy as Himself by Himself becoming the enemy. Do you know that's what happened to Jesus on the cross? He became God's enemy for you. All of God's hatred, all of God's fury, all of His just wrath as God looks upon sin and He hates it. He despises it. All of that that would be directed at you forever was unleashed upon Jesus. And He screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's no one coming to rescue Him. No one coming to rescue Jesus. No good Samaritan. He's left for dead. And He was forsaken so you would never have to be forsaken. And that's the love that will get you to heaven. Not yours. Not according to the law. You can't do it. You can't. It's the love Jesus has for you. A love that screams even as we leave Him for dead on the side of the road, Father, forgive them. Know not what they do. You can't love your way to heaven, but you have in Jesus been loved to heaven. And so the question is, what can I do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing you can do. It's what Jesus has already done for you. I want to plead with you today to believe in Him. Trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Some of you here today, you're trying to work up something within you that you're going to hold God. And you'll be no closer to God, no closer to heaven than your worst enemy. Let's pray.